Take your Bibles, please, and turn to Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5. Now let's have a word of prayer. Gracious Father, we thank you this night for the opportunity you have as believers to worship you, to honor you, and to come before you with thanksgiving. And we pray, Father God, as we come before you tonight, as we gather around your word, that, Lord, you would speak to us through your word. May your word tonight be a blessing, may it be a challenge, may it be encouragement, Father God, and we pray that, Lord, you give us understanding. Lord, help me to be clear in my speech, to be able to present your word, Father God, in a way that uh, each and every one, from the youngest to the oldest, be able to grasp the, the instruction of the truth. Lord, help me tonight to preach your word according to your will, and may we tonight receive from you what you would have for us. Minister to our hearts' needs, we pray, and bless us, we pray, through the study of your word. And guide our time together now, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. One of the greatest theological questions of all time, we said last week, was how is it possible for God to save sinners through the person of Jesus Christ? We said that Romans chapter 5, verses 12 through 21, answer this question for us. Romans chapter 5, verse 12 starts with the phrase, wherefore. By means of is what the word wherefore means there, by means of. And Paul is telling us now in the rest of this chapter, chapter 5, how it is possible for God to save sinners. And he does this first by explaining to us the influence of Adam on the human race. In Romans chapter 5, verses 12 to 14, and we started to look at that last week and we didn't finish it. So bear with me as I just uh, kind of review a bit of last week to give you the context for what we want to say tonight. Last week we said the first thing that we noticed here in Romans chapter 5 was the, verse, uh, was the extent of the influence in verse 12. Wherefore, as by one man sin into the world, and death by sin, so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. We made comment about the fact that Adam sinned in the Garden of Eden when he partook of the fruit. And in so doing, when he partook of that, Romans chapter 5 verse 12 reveals to us the effect of that sin. And the effect of the sin, according to verse 12, is that death came by sin. Wherefore, by as one man sin into the world, and death by sin. The effect of sin is that death came by that sin. By that act of disobedience of Adam even in the garden, mankind, or rather, death came into mankind came into the world. We know that God had said that Adam and Eve were not to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for in the day thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. The day that Adam and Eve ate of that tree, they surely died. They died spiritually, and eventually they died physically. Death came by sin. And every grave is evidence to the spread and reign of sin since the time of Adam. Secondly, we noted the result of sin here in verse 12 which was death passed upon all men. Wherefore, as by one man sin of the world, and death by sin, so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. Death passed upon all men. Simply put, Adam stood in the Garden of Eden as our federal head, as our representative in the Garden. And he acted on our behalf, so that when Adam sinned, we all sinned. When Adam died, we all died. He was our representative in the Garden of Eden. And last week, we started to look at verses 13 and 14. 
And there we see, secondly, not only the extent of the influence, but the proof of the influence of Adam upon the human race. In verse 13 we read, For until the law, sin was in the world. But sin is not imputed when there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over them that had not sinned after the similitude of Adam's transgression, who was the figure of him that was to come. Romans chapter 5 verse 13 assures us that even though there was no written law between Adam and Moses, even though there was no written law, there was indeed sin in the world. Adam, he said in verse 12, had sinned. He'd caused sin to enter the world. It was Adam's act of disobedience that caused the sin to pass on from generation to generation to generation. Every subsequent generation was affected by the sin of Adam and affected by the sin nature of Adam. That's why Cain kills Abel. Classic illustration of the fact and the effect of sin. And the proof of the influence is that when Adam sinned, sin entered the world. But he goes on to verse 13 and says, For unto the law sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed when there is no law. Or sin is not charged against people, against individuals, if there is no law. Now we said last week that this is a self-evident proposition. Because we know that sin is a violation of the law. We know that sin against God is a violation of God's law. And if there is no law, then there can be no wrong. You can't be convicted for doing wrong if there is no law stating that what you're doing is wrong. You can only be convicted for doing wrong if the law exists. And so we said last week, the self-evident proposition here is, what Paul is stating is that if there is no sin is not imputed or reckoned to the account of somebody if there is no law. Now, assuming that that is a self-evident proposition, we then also say there's a second self-evident proposition, and that is this, that there must have been a law of some kind prior to Moses because we know that death reigned from Adam to Moses. Noah's Ark, all those people died. Only eight were saved. Animals died because only, uh, and only eight human beings were saved and only certain amount of animals were saved in the Ark. We know that death reigned from Adam to to Moses, even though uh, there, there was no law. And so he said there must have been some kind of law prior to Moses in order for people to die. And there was a law. Romans 2.15 tells us the law was written in their hearts. And so the apostle's argument here in verse 13 is that sin is still sin. And that the payment for sin is still death. The wages of sin is death. It was in the Garden of Eden. The payment for Adam's sin was death. And the wages of sin ever since that day have been death. Now the apostle makes this still clearer in verse 14. Where we come to tonight as we pick up where we left off last week. And we know firstly that even though sin is not imputed where there is no law that death reigned from Adam to Moses. Verse 14, nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses. The word nevertheless here in verse 14 carries the idea of notwithstanding. Notwithstanding the fact that 
when there is no law, death is, uh, uh, when there is no law, then the punishment is not imputed, as it says in verse 13, sin is not imputed when there is no law. He says, nevertheless, notwithstanding that fact to be true, death reigned from Adam to Moses. Even though sin has not placed the account of somebody else until there is a law to break, death reigned. And we know that Adam had a specific law from God. We know why Adam died, because God had given him a specific law. You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. From the day thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. There was the, the prohibition, don't eat. And there was the penalty, if you eat, you'll die. So there was a law for Adam. God had given him a very clear, specific law, and he broke that law, so he deserved the judgment of death. We also know that from Adam to Moses, people died, even though they didn't have the law. As we said, because the law was written in their hearts. And Romans chapter 2, through Romans chapter 3 in particular, explain that to us. It explains to us why people are without excuse. That God had given the law, written their hearts, so that they're without excuse. There is nobody who lives that has an excuse for not having to spend eternity separate from God because every man has sinned. There is none righteous. There is none that understandeth. We've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. We're all worthy of eternal punishment. We all deserve to die eternally. We're all dead spiritually at the moment of birth. We all deserve to die physically and spend eternity in the lake of fire because we're all sinners. This point is spelled out for us over and over again in the word of God. Without Christ, we have no hope. And that point has been established over and over again, even in Romans. From Romans chapter 1 verse 1 through Romans chapter 5 and verse 11, God's word has spelled out the need for you and I to be justified. But the interesting thing here in Romans 5.14, the thing that caused me to have uh, a great deal of thought about, you know, gives you a, a pause to uh, cause to pause and think about things and to try and get your head around it and uh, go and tell your wife your head's getting done in and tell your pastor that your head's getting done in by the passage is the second part of verse 14. Because Paul adds an interesting phrase saying that death reigned even over them who had not sinned like Adam. Look what he says in verse 14. Nevertheless death reigned from Adam to Moses even over them that had not sinned after the similitude of Adam's transgression. Okay, so he has just told us that the whole point of what he's saying is that in Adam, Adam sinned, Adam stands as a representative, death reigned because of Adam's sin, and all men are then going to die because all men are sinners, because we know that death reigned from Adam to Moses, and then he says, even over them that not sinned after the similitude of Adam's sin. So what's he saying here? We know that death reigned because of sin. And we know that all have sinned because death reigns from Adam to Moses. Okay, That's the point that he's been making in verses 12 and 13. Okay, We've all sinned 
and death reigns from Adam to Moses, showing us that all have sinned. There is a law which everyone had broken, even between Adam and Moses, and that law was a law in their hearts. So all of us are sinners by act. We have all sinned and come short of the glory of God. And the wage of sin is death. So why does Paul say, death reigned, even over them that had not sinned after the similitude of Adam's transgression in verse 14. We've got to understand this. Paul is seeking to make a point here. He wants no one to be confused as to why we are dying. He wants everyone to understand that all of us are guilty. Isn't that what he's done in chapter 1, 2, and 3? <laughs> he just spent three chapters, didn't he? Remember in God's courtroom? He spent three chapters demonstrating that we're all sinners. We all deserve to die. He spent a chapter and a half, chapter 4 and chapter 5 through verse 11, he spent a chapter and a half teaching us about justification and how that it's not by works of righteousness we have done, but according to his mercy that he saved us. He spent one and a half chapters trying to demonstrate to us that the means to get saved is faith in Jesus Christ, faith and faith alone. It's faith in Christ alone that we get saved. So he wants to explain to us the fact that we need to understand we're all sinners, we're all guilty, we all need to die, but then he wants to make a point. He wants us to understand a greater truth. A truth that he's been building up to that he's going to finish this chapter discussing because what we come to now in verse 14 down to verse 21 is one of the most significant doctrines in the Word of God. And the Apostle wants you and I to understand this. The point is that he wants you to understand that you and I to understand that Adam stood in the Garden of Eden as our representative. He was our federal head. Look at verses 15 to 19 where he picks this up again. He says this, But not of the offense, so is also the free gift. For if through the offense of one many be dead, much more by grace of God and the gift of, by grace, which is by one Jesus Christ, hath abounded unto many. And not as it was by the one sinned, so is the gift. For the judgment was by one to condemnation, but the free gift is of many offenses under justification. For if by one man's offense death reigned by one, much more they which receive abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness shall reign by one, Jesus Christ. Therefore, as by the offense of one judgment came upon all men to condemnation, even so by the righteousness of one the free gift came upon all men unto justification of life. For as by one man's disobedience many were made sinners, so by the obedience of one shall many be made righteous. That's just a regular theme. By the offense of one, as by one man's sin, by one man's disobedience, by one man. Okay, What he's about to demonstrate to us that Adam represented us in the garden. He was our representative. He stood in our place. And because he did, we stand condemned in Adam. Okay, Now we cannot justify our behavior therefore because of Adam. That's the whole point of what he's been trying to say. We're all guilty sinners. We've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. But the point he's trying to make here, and we're going to see why he has to make this point as come to the end of the verse. The point he's trying to make here is that you and I are, find ourselves accountable in Adam. Adam stood in our place. We stand condemned in Adam. When Adam sinned, we all sinned. 
When Adam died, we all died. Even though we, they had not sinned, nor have we sinned, in the same way that Adam sinned. We didn't sin after his, the similitude of his sin. And even though they didn't even have a specific command like Adam to break. And even though some had not committed any acts of sin whatsoever, like the large number of infants who die before the age of understanding, or those who have no mental capacity to understand what they are doing. Death reigned because death is passed upon all men. Why? Because of Adam. Verse 12. Wherefore, as by one man sin in the world, and death by sin, so death passed upon all men. Verse 17. For if by one man's offense, death reigned by one. The point here is that they were not dying, those between Adam and Moses, they were not dying directly because of sins they committed, because of Adam's sin. Now, while it's true, don't get me wrong, while it's true, we've all sinned. And while it's true, everyone from Adam to Moses sinned. And while it's true, they died because of their sin. Romans 6.23, for the wage of sin is death. The point being made here by the Apostle Paul is that since people died without the law, it shows to you and I that death comes because of Adam. It was his act of disobedience that brought judgment of death upon all mankind. You know, sometimes when you're reading God's word, you get a light bulb moment. Sometimes when you're studying, you kind of, you know, happens, well, on, on uh, this week I had one of those moments, pastor wasn't there, so he didn't see me do the jig in the office, but I had this light bulb moment as I was trying to get my head around all this. And uh, when I finally figured it out, I went, woohoo, what's the there? Shaking my hands and I was cheering because it dawned on me. Okay? I, I kind of had this, maybe I'm just thick and everybody else is understanding it right now, and you're thinking to yourself, well, what's pastor talking about? Because I already know all this. But it hit me this week, this point. What he's trying to get at is it's the act of disobedience of Adam that brought the judgment of death. You see, Adam brought death into the world. It's that first act of disobedience that, enact, that enacted death. So even if everybody from Adam onwards had not personally sinned, that act of death, disobedience, would have passed death upon all men. Now the apostles already explained that we're all equally accountable. We're all equally accountable for our own actions. We've all sinned and come show the glory of God. But his point here is that Adam enacted, his act of disobedience unlocked death. His act of disobedience brought upon mankind the consequence of death. It was his act of disobedience that brought about this punishment. Okay, death has its origins in Adam, that's what he's getting at. So once again, that's why infants die who will be under the age of understanding. Because, see, they have not committed a sin after the similitude of Adam's sin. They're infants. A, a six-month-old baby has not lived long enough to have sinned willfully the way Adam did. Yet they die. 
someone who is born mentally impaired and never has the ability of thinking for themselves and are totally mentally enabled, incapacitated, unable to do that, they cannot be held accountable for their own sins. But why do they die? Because death came into the world by an act of disobedience of one man. He stood as our representative. In other words, all mankind from Adam have inherited natures that are subject to death. Okay? From the moment Adam sinned in the Garden of Eden, every offspring of Adam and Eve from that point forward inherited from Adam natures that were subject to death. Everybody will die. Even if they have not sinned after the similitude of Adam's sin, they will die. Because we receive from Adam a sin nature. We receive from Adam a nature that is subject to death. Prior to his act in the garden, mankind would not have died. If Adam and Eve had not partaken of that fruit, we would never have died. We would have lived forever. But what God did was it was an amazing act of grace. God said that whatever Adam does in the garden, I will view as being the action of all mankind, irrespective of they've never actually sinned, at the similitude of Adam. Everyone will be accepted as being acting in Adam. So what he does, I'll assume, is what all mankind would do, and therefore the punishment for his sin will pass upon all of the human race from that moment forward. That's the Apostle's point here. You and I receive from Adam a nature that was subject to death. And this shows clearly that the sin of Adam brought a terrible consequence upon mankind. Verse 18, Therefore, as by the offense of one, judgment came upon all men to condemnation. All of us are condemned because of one man's sin. All of us are condemned because of Adam's disobedience. Now, if you haven't thought of this question, I certainly thought of the question. The question is this, why is this important? Why does it matter? Why is the apostle taking so much time to make sure he covers his bases and tells us that we're all sinners and we've all guilty before God and death reigned uh, from Adam to Moses because there is a law and that law is written in our hearts and all men have sinned even against conscience, even though they're not sinned directly against the law of God. Why has he spent all that time explaining that then just to tell us that what he wants you to understand is that in Adam we've all been judged. And death passed upon all men because of Adam's disobedience. Why is it important that he is our representative? Why is it important that Adam stands in our place in the garden? Well, that becomes clearer when we consider the final phrase of verse 14. He says, There's nevertheless death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over them that had not sinned after the similitude of Adam's transgression, who is the figure of him that was to come. As Adam stood for us in the garden, so that when Adam sinned, all sinned, and when Adam died, all died, so Christ stood, the one that was to come in our place, 
and die for the human race, as the rest of the chapter explains. The apostle has been trying to explain that there is one representative of mankind in the garden that's Adam. Irrespective of what we do ourselves personally, for which we are accountable, we all are subject to death because of Adam's disobedience. And God made him our representative in the Garden of Eden so that Christ could represent you and I at Calvary. So we could have one representative that brought about death upon all men and one representative that brings life upon all men. That's why he says Adam was the figure of the coming one. I mean, it seems strange, doesn't it, to think that Adam is a picture of Christ. Christ is God manifests the flesh. He's holy, he's sinless. Adam is fleshly, earthly, sinful, disobedient, dying. Christ is the eternal one. Adam is the dying one. And yet God says that Adam is a picture of Christ. He's a type of Christ. And the reason why he says this is this. The relationship of mankind to Adam is a picture of the relationship of the redeemed to the Lord. 1 Corinthians 15.45 says this. And so it is written, the first, Adam, the first man, Adam, was made a living soul. The last Adam was made a quickening spirit. Here the Lord Jesus Christ is called the last Adam. The first Adam was made a living soul, but Christ, the last Adam, becomes a quickening spirit. He makes us alive. Remember, we were dead in trespasses and sins, and he's quickened us. He's made us alive. In verse 47 of 1 Corinthians 15, he calls Jesus Christ the second man. Verse 47 says, The first man is of the earth, earthy. The second man is the Lord from heaven. Adam was the first Adam. Christ was the last Adam. Adam was the first man. Christ is the second man. You see, there has only ever been two heads of the human race. Adam and Christ. And there will never be any others. Adam represented the human race at the start of humanity. Christ represented the human race at Calvary. And there is no other heads. Just those two heads, Adam and Christ. The first Adam, the second Adam. The first man, the second man. There's only ever been two heads and there will never be any others. And every one of us, listening tonight, every one of us are either in Christ or in Adam. If you're saved, you're in Christ. He is your representative before the throne of God. If you're unsaved, you're in Adam. And if you're still in Adam, then you're under condemnation. You're under the condemnation that results from the relationship you have with Adam. Romans 5, 17 and 18. For if by one man's offense death reigned by one, verse 18, therefore as by the offense of one judgment came upon all men to condemnation. If you are still in Adam... If you've never been saved, you are in Adam. He is your representative, and the consequence of his behavior is that death reigns upon you. And you stand condemned before a holy God because you stand in Adam. 
Those outside of Christ, Ephesians 2, 1 tells us, are dead in trespasses and sins. You're dead. You have not been quickened. You've not been made alive. You are dead in trespasses and sins. John 3.18 tells us that those who are outside of Christ are condemned already. And it tells us why they're condemned already. Because they have not believed on the name of the only begotten Son of God. You're either in Christ or you're in Adam. You're either born again or you're not. You're either justified, redeemed, declared righteous, or you are condemned. But by faith, if we are now in Christ, we have new life in Christ. 2 Corinthians 5.17 Therefore if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature, all things are passed away, behold, all things are become new. Beloved, what Paul is teaching here is the great principle of regeneration. That those of us who are saved are not just forgiven, but you and I are changed into a new creation. We've been born again. Look at First Peter. First Peter, please, chapter 1. First Peter, chapter 1. Verse 23. Being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible, by the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. You and I have been born again of incorruptible seed. You and I have been regenerated. You and I have been redeemed. You and I have been set free because of our relation to Christ. We're in Christ. And because we are in Christ, because you and I by faith, have been placed in Christ, we no longer stand condemned. Romans chapter 8, verse 1. Therefore, there is now no condemnation of them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. There's no condemnation of them that are in Christ Jesus. Here in Romans chapter 5, verses 13 to 17, even 13 to 21, we have revealed to us that Christ is the head of a new humanity. He's the head of a new race. As he later says in Romans chapter 8, verse 29, Christ is the firstborn of many brethren. The truth is, the Lord Jesus Christ has introduced to us a new age, a new kingdom, a new order altogether. Adam was the first man, the representative of all mankind, and what Adam did caused all men to die. Death passed upon all men for all of sin. Why? Because Adam is the initiator of that problem. He unlocked death by his disobedience, and by the disobedience of one, many are made sinners. But by the obedience of Christ, by the death of Christ, Many have been made righteous. What Paul wants you and I to see is that as Christians we're not only forgiven, but you and I become members of a human humanity, a new race, a new family. We're in Christ. And because we are in Christ, we're members of the household of God. We are children of God. Isn't that what John 1, 12 says? But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. 
God is our Father. We are His children because Christ, our second Adam, died in our place. Not only were forgiven, we were delivered from the realm of sin and death and wrath and punishment. Go with me to Colossians chapter 1, please. Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1 and verse 12. Colossians 1, 12. Giving thanks unto the Father, which hath made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light, who hath delivered us from the power of darkness, and hath translated us into the kingdom of his dear Son, in whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins. Could he give thanks to the Father, because he's made us partakers of inheritance of the saints in light by his Son. Verse 13, he's delivered us from the power of darkness, and he's translated us into the kingdom of his dear Son. One commentator says the word translated here, uh, this word translated, translated here in verse 13, has special significance in the ancient world. When one emperor, or rather one empire, conquered another empire, the custom was to take the population of one empire, the defeated empire, and transfer it completely to the conqueror's land. It's in this sense that Paul says that we've been translated into God's kingdom. When you and I got saved, we were transported into a new kingdom. You and I were transported into a new realm. You and I were transported into the kingdom of righteousness and joy and peace because we're in Christ. You know, we have life everlasting which can never be destroyed and from which nothing can separate us. Romans 8, 35. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? As is written, for thy sake we are killed all the day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. <coughs> Excuse me. Nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. For I persuade that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor powers nor things present nor things to come nor height nor depth nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus. Because we're in Christ, we can never be separated from that relationship. We are members of the family of God. We once were the children of Adam. Now we are the sons of God. Once we stood condemned because of our federal head, Adam, who disobeyed God in the Garden of Eden, and when he disobeyed, death reigned because his nature passed on to all of us, and now we have a nature subject to death. But when we get ourselves in Christ, through faith in his finished work upon the cross of Calvary, you and I are transported from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light, from the kingdom of death to the kingdom of life. You and I have been transported in the kingdom of God. We're the children of God. We're children of the King. Because Jesus Christ stood in our place at Calvary. We're no longer under the reign of sin. We're no longer destined to reign, uh, to, to, to die eternally without Christ. We are destined now to reign in life. 
And what we have here in verse 14 is the apostle begins to introduce to you and I the glories of our state and our position in Christ. Verse 15 to 21 is all about our position and state in Christ. And you and I need to understand that we are in the light, we were in the life of Adam before, but now we're in the life of Christ. We were under the sentence of death, under the sentence of eternal punishment because of our relation to Adam, but now because of our relation to Christ, we're redeemed, justified, forgiven. We have eternal life. And if we rejoice in these things, as we're told we should do, joy in God, in verse 11, notice what he said before he got to verse 12. And not only so, but we also joy in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom we have now received the atonement. Wherefore? You need to understand why we rejoice. Why is it we can joy in God? Because in Christ Jesus, we have much to be thankful about. In Christ Jesus, we've been redeemed, justified, reconciled, forgiven, given eternal life. Entered into a new kingdom. We're members of the family of God. We're the children of God. And so much to be thankful for. But if we're going to joy in God, then we must understand our relation to Adam, our relation to Christ. We must understand that Adam is our federal head, Christ is our spiritual head. We must understand this before he moves on to chapter 6 and following where he starts talking about the doctrine of salvation, the ones we have in Christ. Before we get there, we need to understand our relation to Adam before we're saved and our relation to Christ once we're saved. We were in Adam, now we're in Christ. We were in darkness, we're now in light. We were in death, now we're in life because of Christ. Not only we're forgiven, but we're in the new realm. A part of a new humanity, an heir of God, Joined air with Christ. Look in Romans 8, 17, if you would. <coughs> Let's read verse 16. The Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God, and joint heirs of Christ, if so be that we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified with him. You know, beloved, we're heirs of God. Joint heirs with Christ. Because we're in him. As I said last week, we should praise the Lord for doctrine. You see, doctrine helps you and I, it enables you and I to understand what Christ did for us at Calvary. If we don't understand doctrine, we'll never fully understand the depths of the glories of the salvation of the Zars in Christ. One of the reasons I love teaching theology in Bible college is because you get to do this all the time. You get to talk about these wonderful doctrines of God's word. You get to talk about the wonderful truths of the doctrines because it makes salvation come alive. We should praise the Lord for his wisdom in setting Adam up as our representative in the garden so that Christ could come and be our representative at Calvary and die in our place. Let's give thanks to God tonight for the second Adam. Christ who died that we might live. May I ask you tonight, are you in Christ? Through faith in him today.
If so, if you know you're in Christ, then rejoice in the knowledge that you're now new creatures in Him. Rejoice that you are joint heirs with Christ. But if you're not, if you're still in Adam, why not today trust Him as your Savior so you too can be in Christ? Have your sins forgiven, a home in heaven, and be a child of God. I trust God will commend his word to our hearts tonight and that we will rejoice in the knowledge of what it means to be in Christ. What it meant to be in Adam. What it means to be in Christ. And how wonderful it is that Christ is the second Adam. We'll see more of that next time. But I trust God will bless us through his word this night. Let's pray. Gracious Father, we thank you tonight for your word. Lord, I don't know whether anybody else really got excited about that passage, but I certainly did, Lord, as I studied it last week and again this week. As I started to understand the significance, yet again, of the relationship of Christ to us and the relationship of Adam to us, as I started to get my head around the nuances of the passage, Lord, I could not help but rejoice and to give thanks and to get a little excited in the office as it hit me what it was all about. And Lord, I do pray that in a little way, in in a a little slice, that everybody tonight might have gained a, a little understanding of the wonder of the fact that Adam was our representative of the garden and Christ is our representative of Calvary so that we're no longer in Adam but we can be in Christ through faith in him. Commend your word to our hearts this night, we pray. Bless, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.